Hello, my name is Maxine McIntosh, and I'm the program lead for Diverse Data at Genomics England, and you are listening to The G Word. Through the conversations we have on this podcast, we hope to bring the benefits of genomic medicine to everyone. Now, genomics is a word that can trigger some really strong responses, hope, fear, anger, and we very aware that there's lots of information out there that's definitely not accessible to all non-experts, let alone all non-geneticists. So we want to talk more about this word, the G word, genomics. So this month, this month has got a lot of things going on, but particularly this month is about all things data on the G word. And this podcast is going to delve into the use, trust and significance around healthcare data. Today, I'm very excited that we'll be discussing the role of data and data science in promoting and improving health equity. And to guide us on this merry journey, we have Alicia Davies from Public Health Wales and the Alan Turing Institute and Brio Lehman from UCL, and both of whom are involved in the data science for health equity community. Welcome all to the G Word. So Alicia, your background, uh, there's a lot of acronyms and words here, so I'm I'm sorry if I start to stumble, but you started in infectious diseases, you had an MSc in medical parasitology and demography, and then disease moved into disease surveillance and PhD epidemiology in cardiovascular disease inequalities, right? Yeah. You've got training in public health consultant, you've got where you're working across local government, health policy, think tank, Nuffield Trust, and now you head up research and evaluation spanning public health practice, policy, research, linked to data in health. And now you're at the Turing, interesting in bringing data science and AI into public health and health inequalities. So quite a sort of coloured and meandering route into the world of data science and health. I love that. So Brio, you studied maths before doing a PhD in biostats. So specifically, you were looking at statistical neuroimaging, and that was at the MRC biostats unit. You then moved to Oxford to work as a postdoc with Chris Holmes and Gil McBean. Uh, What was the highlight of your postdoc, by the way, Brio? Highlight of my postdoc was, of course, eating you, Maxine. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> there we go. Uh, and so your postdoc mostly focused on uh, statistical genetics, so specifically polygenic scores. Uh, and now you're a lecturer at uh, UCL in statistical science, um, where most of your work looks at statistics and health data science for a range of biomedical applications. Um, you are also a member of the Turing RSS Health Data Lab, um, which is really looking at statistical modelling to support the government's response to COVID-19. So uh, a really wonderful mix of of health and data science, um, maths, stats, medical parasitology, uh, and and it's all coming to kind of a nice, wonderful soup of of health and data science. So thank you both for joining me uh, on the podcast. Right. So we're going to start with with the big one. Uh, so we've got levelling up. It's Pride Month as well as Data Month. I think Pride Month is probably a bit more important here. Um, we've got the impact of COVID that kind of continues to rear its ugly head um, in the case of inequalities. So can I ask you both to sort of paint me a picture of why health equity matters to you? Uh, and what are some of the aspects of health equity that, that you probably care the most about? So maybe Alicia, we'll, we'll start with you. Thanks, Maxine. Lovely to be able to join you and Brio um, today for uh, this podcast. You talked about a meandering career. It was a bit of a meandering career, but actually a common thread through all of that has been inequalities. Inequalities in health uh, are differences between groups, but it's when those inequalities are unjust or unfair that then, you know, changing into inequities in health. What that means to populations or people, women that live in the most deprived areas in England at the moment have about seven years lower life expectancy um, than those that are uh, living in the uh, least deprived areas. And that's the life expectancy. If you look at disability free life expectancy, so the number of years that you can live in good health, it's about 16 years less. 
So what that means in in uh, plain language is that people living in poorer areas not only die sooner, but they also spend more of their shorter lives living in poorer health. Now, up until recently, life expectancy has been increasing in most groups, but that difference or inequity has remained evident throughout. In health equity, we largely describe differences in area level deprivation, but there's lots of other inequalities in health. So that can be in differences by ethnicity or disability, or even differences by particular health conditions, mental health over physical health, and more the other way around. And recently, health inequalities during COVID really continues to rear its ugly head and demonstrates that disproportionate impact on some groups that are really facing already facing, sorry, the worst health outcomes. And I'm really passionate about how we can do better in that space. So very messy, very intersectional. And the data, I think, is, is very stark here in demonstrating the, the the degree of inequalities and actually how it's very much sort of centred in, in some, uh, well, consistently the same groups. Um, so, Bria, w- w- I presume you're going to have a slightly different picture to paint. Well, I hope so, otherwise it makes the podcast slightly less interesting. Um, so, yeah, w- 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 how, how do you kind of frame and think about health equity? I don't think I could have put it much better than than Alicia. I think, uh, as, as you said, COVID's kind of made it abundantly clear that there are kind of significant health uh, in, inequalities in society, and th- these inequalities existed before before COVID. But uh, I'd say COVID has just uh, just accentuated those inequalities. I suppose the the way the way um, I, I came to the health equity sphere, if you will, was. I've always wanted to kind of use maths and, and statistics for the greater good and health equity through, through my research in neuroimaging and in statistical genetics, it, it kind of became clear that, um, these, these were issues that could really benefit, I think, from kind of more sophisticated kind of statistical analyses. And so that's kind of what drew me to the problem. And of course, the, the reason I, I care about health equity in, in particular, is that it's such a, a kind of complex problem which is intertwined with a kind of all sorts of other social inequalities. So at least Alicia touched on a number of those uh, there. And, and there's these kind of really complex feedback loops whereby, so for example, socioeconomic deprivation we know has an impact on, on health. And of course, the poorer health you have, the less likely you are to be able to you know, sustain a job and take good care of, of what you eat and, and all things like this. So really kind of interested in seeing what we can do to use data to you know better understand these inequalities kind of disentangle the complex factors that that contribute to them and then to see how we can use data to to begin to bridge some of these gaps it would be good if more people who did maths and stats you know sort of thought about that rather than thought about optimizing facebook ads but um there we go. Um, so I'll go back to you. I'm, I'm acutely aware that I don't want to come across as sort of a really annoying person who wears sort of high tops in Soho and has a technocratic solution to really big social problems. So with that caveat, why, and have you touched on it a little bit already, but digging a bit, bit, bit more deeply, why does health equity need better data science? So I suppose it's really to do with the kind of recent developments in how uh, data is being used uh, kind of throughout the, the healthcare pipeline. So from, you know, basic research, our, our kind of understanding of, of biology and, and the other determinants of, of the health that we've touched upon to how d- data is being used and generated in, in clinical trials to decision support systems where, you know, data is being used to help clinicians and, and care workers deliver care and, and treatments um, to things like health insurance, where 
uh, data is being used to decide you know, who gets what treatment and, and at what cost. So data is becoming an integral part of the, the, the whole healthcare system. And the risk is that the, the, the biases that we've touched upon uh, just a moment ago in terms of historically underserved or, or marginalized communities, these can enter the data in, at various stages of the, of the pipeline. And what that means is that they'll affect the decisions that are made as a function of that data. Where, where health equity can needs better data science is how can data science really acknowledge the biases in the data and in the algorithms um, that are being used? And how can we kind of first acknowledge that and detect those biases? And then secondly, how we can correct for those and, and make sure that they don't either perpetuate or, or exacerbate these existing uh, inequalities. That's really interesting. And I guess that's something that, like Alicia, certainly in your role, you know, both public health world, but also at the Turing, you're thinking a lot about like the strategic positioning of the role of AI and data science um, for health equity. So why do you feel that health equity needs better data science? And I'm, I, I, I'm, I've biased the question. I presume you do think it is because of your role. I think, I think I'm interested in how can it help with health equity. I'm not saying it can because of the biases that Brio was reflecting on, but actually there's a lot that we can learn from understanding the missingness even because the missingness reflects potentially inequalities in accessing health care. So some groups are missing in the data by the nature that they, they don't access care or can't access care. So using data science to help to better understand data at a granular level can help inform some of that decision making, whether that's service models or public health interventions. I'm also interested in how data science or thinking about causal routes might help to better understand which groups or some of those underlying drivers and protective factors of health equity. So bringing in different types of data that might reflect more of the social determinants of of health into into the mix, but not getting ourselves too much caught up in in the causality and describing health inequalities um, forevermore just through more sophisticated methods, but also helping us to move forwards to making better decisions on what works for different groups and and how things work. So can we test solutions to help inform policy, whether that's at a local, regional or a national level, um, where they're trying to address uh, or put in place action to support health inequalities. So I think I think there is potential, but and and I'm that's why I'm I'm here now at the at the Turing and at spanning into public health wheels. I'm interested in how we can bring those approaches into that system. I'm going to take us like a wee bit deeper and go a bit more technical, appreciating that we're going to have a range of expertise listening to this podcast. But you've talked about two, I guess, I would say mega topics in data science and health equity. You've talked about causality, you've talked about missingness. So maybe I'm going to pose a question to both of you, which is maybe starting with with you, Brio, on kind of missingness and structured missingness. What are some of the interesting data science themes, approaches, ways to deal with structured missingness? But before we do that, what is structured missingness? What is structured missingness? So there's, there's a few definitions flying around. And some of them are pretty technical, so I'm going to avoid getting uh, too technical. But structured missingness kind of can broadly be understood as where you have either variables, so that's kind of different measurements associated with with people uh, in your data set. So either um, variables that are, that are missing were never recorded or for, for some other reason um, aren't part of the data set, 
or you have kind of uh, particular individuals that are, are are missing from the data set. So so a kind of classic example occurs from something called responder bias, where for some particular reason, a particular group of individuals might not want to record a particular observation in, in a survey. So an example of this, uh, which I saw, I saw recently was that, uh, men are le- less likely to record whether they have sexual dysfunction, uh, in a survey than, 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 than women. Uh, and so there's, this is a form of, of, of structured missingness whereby the, the missingness that there's some, some structure according to other variables, uh, which are, are recorded, um, in, in, in the data set. And, and there are all, all sorts of other types of structure. So Alicia kind of touched on it, but the lack of diversity in, in, in data sets can also be sort of seen as a form of structured missingness, where ideally you would have representative sample of all the people in, in the population or in, in, across the country. Um, but for, for, for a variety of reasons, biomedical data sets are biased towards Western, white, rich men, typically. Uh, uh, which means that, uh, historically underserved groups are, are less likely to be represented in the data. And this is kind of a, a, a more broad form of structured missingness where you have whole swathes of the population, um, that are kind of either, either underrepresented or totally missing from the population. What are some of the approaches that one can use to deal with the fact that we have these, uh, gaps that are, um, very telling of some inequalities and inequities? So. One of the classical ways to, to deal with it is to use something called uh, imputation. And imputation is essentially where you try and fill in the gaps uh, in your data set. And this is particularly tricky. So it's been well studied in the form of non-structured missingness. So when you can assume that uh, all the missing data occurs at random, essentially, you can do a fairly good job at uh, imputing, filling in these missing values. But it becomes much more challenging when you have this uh, structure that's present. And actually, it's a, it's a really active, ongoing area of, of research to, to try and figure out ways that we can do, um, imputation when you have structured, structure, uh, in, in the missingness. Uh, once you have filled in, filled in these, uh, missing values, then you can essentially, with a, with a few cor- corrections afterwards, you can perform your statistical analyses almost as if, um, these, these missing values, these filled in values, uh, other the the actual observed ones. It's almost like you're a teacher in statistics. It's so well explained. Why does causality matter for health equity, and what are some of the like interesting approaches and methods that you know make this a particularly interesting topic for data science? So causality and health equity is a huge question. <laughs> Understanding causality and equity or health equity is is really important to be able to direct action in the right places at the right times to the right groups. There's a great report, if listeners haven't read it, from Marmot on 10 years on in terms of health equity. And um, that helps to identify actually what we can do for for health equity and how we can help to try and address it. And take, for example, one of the strands of that is making sure that every child has the best start in life. Well, that spans everything from best start in terms of um, healthy eating, safe and secure housing, education and um, access to childcare and lots of different elements. Well, the challenge in terms of causality is that we haven't got endless 
budgets. So we're an endless ability to address everything. So where where's the best place to put our efforts um, in driving some of those challenges forwards? And how do you do that when maybe the social circumstances, which we have less control of from a public health discipline, are actually really challenging some of those drivers of health equity? So better understanding some of the causal mechanisms and patterns of health can help better direct the action I think that's that's needed. Now not all of that will be in an NHS, will be in a health system. Some of it is in education, some of it might be in the way policing works across health and, and primary care if you're looking at mental health. So that's where you need data that spans sectors. You need brains that span disciplines from statistics to economics to behavioural insights. And it's how do you bring together those different minds and approaches to see if we can better direct some of the actions that might make a better difference to health equity. The other thing to bear in mind is that trying to change life expectancy, for example, at the start I was talking about the big gap in life expectancy. It can take you know, years of like generations to make a tangible difference to life expectancy. So can data science help us kind of speed up time to look at, well, if we do this and this, will that get us further, faster, taking into consideration wider social factors and those types of things. Now, I'm only talking about this because this is a podcast. We're talking about big thinking and ideas. Um, I know that's a tremendously complex a question and problem and um, it shouldn't distract from the good work that's underway you know every day trying to address health equity so there needs to be a balance of innovation in that data science space but also helping getting on and doing Right. Um, so this has been quite a positive, whilst recognising the limits, this has been quite a positive podcast so far about well, data science and health equity, which I think is intriguing because I would say that most of the time the headlines um, are telling us that in some way some group has been killed or disadvantaged or or um, biased against because of the world of big data. So I think, Brio, probably you're going to have quite a few examples up your sleeves about maybe why data science hasn't necessarily done good stuff for the world of health and health equity. There are a couple. So just to, just to be clear, data science has has done a, a great deal for, for improving our understanding of biology and, and, and health. And so but yeah, with some caveats and, and, um, I think it is important to, to really understand where things can go wrong to, you know, protect against the, the, the risk of this happening again in, in the future. And up until I'd say relatively recently, maybe the last five, five, ten years or so, there probably hasn't just been enough awareness of generally of the, the potential risks and societal implications of, of using uh, data science and kind of artificial intelligence directly within society to, to, to inform decisions. And there's, there's a great book called we- Weapons of Math Destruction, which, which some people might have read by, by Kathy Murphy, which did a great job of, of bringing this idea into the mainstream of the idea of when, when algorithms are kind of employed unchecked into the real world, the, the potential disastrous consequences, uh, that they can have. Uh, so that, that book goes into, into great detail across um, different different applications in in kind of criminal justice, health insurance, 
um, and, and many other examples. I, I, I'd like to highlight a, a couple of examples specifically from the kind of healthcare world. One, one was an example of a health insurance system in the uh, US, which essentially, essentially allocated less money towards uh, black patients uh, who had the same level of, of need, uh, relative to, um, white patients. And this is, this occurred essentially because historically less money had been spent on black patients, uh, in the past. And the algorithm used this as a proxy for how much someone actually needed, um, that treatment. So this is an example of where a, a past inequality due to kind of social injustice fed into an algorithm being used to make decisions, uh, within a healthcare system. Uh, to essentially perpetuate or, or make, make, uh, existing inequalities, uh, worse. There's a, so that, that's an ex- example from, from, uh, uh, almost like a health insurance perspective. And um, there's another example, which is prevalent through, through diagnosis. And this is a, a, a an example whereby basically a, a computer vision and artificial intelligence, uh, algorithm was being used to, uh, diagnose, um, chest x-rays. And it found, uh, this, this research found that basically these, these computer vision techniques were less accurate on populations that essentially were underrepresented in, in the data. And the result of this was that the algorithm essentially, uh, consistently underdiagnosed those underrepresented populations. And in particular, they found that the underdiagnosis rate was actually higher for those which were intersectionally underserved. So for example, Hispanic female patients. So here's an example of where the bias in the data can lead to, to issues at the diagnosis level. Those are really nice examples. I was going to say nice and I was like, no, there's, there's a bad examples, but, but helpfully illustrative. So I think that that paves the way, I think, quite well to my next question. So you're both, we're all actually uh, involved in a community called Data Science for Health Equity, familiarly referred to as DISHI, because the acronym is DS. X-H-E. What is DISHI? Why DISHI? What does DISHI do? Maybe Bria, I'll start with you. We've, we've really touched on kind of the, the complexity of, of, of the problem, right? The, the all sorts of different social, cultural, biological, political factors that, that influence um, health and, and health inequalities, which I think just goes to show that the, the, the complexity of, of the challenge at hand and the, the number of different peoples that are involved in, in, in the whole kind of health and healthcare system from, be it the, the, the patients, the, the clinicians, the, the funders, the policymakers, the insurers. And I think that data science, as I mentioned a bit earlier, that data science does have a role to play, but to make sure that it's got a positive impact on, on health, in, uh, health equity and that it doesn't make inequalities worse, it's essential that all of these people talk to each other. So that, that means, you know, connecting the healthcare professionals, the clinicians to the data scientists, the ones with the technical expertise, the experience with working with data to make sure that to, to, to help these clinicians, you know, make the most of the data, um, that they have available and also to help them understand the potential consequences of algorithms, uh, that are being used in, in clinical practice. Um, and vice versa, that the, the, the data scientists that are working within, within health and, and to, to, um, to better understand biology or, or health inequalities, for them to talk to the, the, I suppose, you know, the, the, the people on the ground, if you will, uh, to make sure that they really understand the, the data that 
they're working with and, and the potential biases uh, that might be present in the data and so that they can appropriately um, account for those biases when they're uh, developing those analyses or, or developing these new these new algorithms. So 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 Dishy aims to, to bring these kind of disparate groups of, of people together to essentially you know improve awareness of the, the potential biases and, and problems that can occur in in this space and essentially to, to try and improve improve practice kind of across throughout the, the healthcare system. So one of the the reasons why I was particularly interested in in kind of helping in contributing to setting up Dishi was that you know in the diverse data initiative we are obviously very focused on the domain of genomics and the and the role and the impact of data imbalances and lack of data diversity in genomics. But you can't really address that problem without thinking about lots of other touch points across the kind of world of health equity and data science. So uh, you know, the statistical methods, the fact that you know, if you're looking at inequalities in, in, in genomics, it obviously raises questions around inequalities in cancer, and you can't really start to think about that without thinking about social determinants of health. And you know, quite quickly, I found myself needing to pull on like, quite varied disparate expertise, but it's quite difficult to navigate and, and find these people. Um, so one of the, the ways that, that DISHI is structured is that we're still early days, but we've got these kind of themes, which are, um, I guess, verticals or domains um, within the sphere of data science and health equity, where a few passionate individuals um, are kind of building communities, building activities around these themes. So um, what a surprise, I'm doing one in genomic data diversity, um, Brio is doing one in statistical methods, and Alicia is doing one in social determinants of health. So given that probably quite a lot of people listening to this podcast are going to be in the world of genetics and genomics, can I ask, you know, maybe starting with you Alicia where do social determinants of health and data science and genomics intersect I've been thinking about this a lot vaccine since uh since you asked us to take part in this um podcast and so if you go back to this what the social determinants are the social determinants are where people are born where they live where they where they grow up and all of those different conditions influence a person's um health and opportunity to be healthy and um, it influences their risk of illness and um and health care uh, as well too so in terms of genomics and the social determinants um well i would think along the lines of the interactions between genes and um social and environmental factors that might influence gene expression or gene regulation but I've been looking for some examples on it, and the papers that I were finding was more in, in lab studies and animal studies. So I think we're far from looking at those interactions in, a, in humans. So is there a role for genomics to better address health equity through the social determinants? Well, there's, there's a lot of work on helping to determine the risk prediction of genetic diseases, for example. So are there social and environmental factors that we should be thinking about in that question. It's hugely complex and, and maybe not, uh, but really happy to have a discussion. And if anyone's listening that's interested in that, well, find me on the Dishy uh, website and we can have a chat about it because I'd love to hear views from geneticists working in that space. Have they thought about the, the interactions between social determinants and genetics and disease? I'm sure many have, but I, I would say that the the, the prevalence and use of polygenic schools would indicate that maybe uh, that could be thought about a bit more carefully or, or a bit more uh, uh, often maybe 
that brings me really nicely onto you, Brio. You're running a statistical methods theme. Um, so uh, obviously statistical methods isn't just for genomics, but um, selfishly, can I ask you, where do statistical methods and genomic equity intersect? I mean, there's where, where, where to start. There's, uh, I think, uh, given that I'm also, you know, have, have a research interest in, in statistical genetics and, and genomics, this is something which is quite, quite close to, to, to my heart. I think, so I, I won't go on for too long, but I'll, I'll just give a couple of examples. Um, one I think is. By the way, none, none of you can see Brio's face, but he's just grinning from ear to ear with the excitement <laughs> of all the statistical method opportunities in genomics. Sorry, I interrupted. Keep going. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I think, I think something which I know has been touched upon on, on the podcast in, in the past is, um, the issue around the la- lack of diversity, um, in, in genomic data. And, and I spoke about this earlier in terms of the, the unrepresentativeness of, of, of biomedical data sets. And this is, um, particularly the case, um, in, in, in genomic, uh, data sets. So for example, I think it's around 90% of human genetic samples come from, from people of, of European ancestry. And what this means is that I won't, I won't go too much into it because I know, I know it's been discussed before, but what it means is that analyses that run, uh, on, on these data don't necessarily generalize to, to people of, of other ancestries. And so what, what we need is kind of better statistical methods to, um, account for the lack of diversity, um, in these data sets. So again, linking back to the structured missingness. Um, example that, that we, um, that I spoke about, uh, earlier. So how to properly account for, um, the, the, this diversity or lack thereof, um, in data sets. And there's, there's a really interesting, uh, challenge whereby often data sets, uh, sit in, in different places, sit on different computers. And because of, of privacy issues, it might not be possible to, to make these, uh, understandably so pub- publicly, uh, available. And there's really interesting challenges and questions about, okay, so given, given that we can't pull all these disparate data sets into one place, can we do something else, something, uh, a clever kind of statistical or algorithmic procedure to, uh, essentially combine information from these disparate, uh, data sets to essentially, uh, perform better statistical analyses whilst maintaining the, the pr- privacy, um, of those individual data sets. I could, I could go on and on, but I think I'll, I'll stop, I'll stop myself there. But your smile would probably rip through your face too much, I reckon, if you did. Okay, I'm just going to have a quick follow-up question. The, um, like federated learning, it's one of those things, for example, that, you know, everyone says is a good answer. And I sort of nod enthusiastically being like, it feels like it's a good answer, but is anyone really doing it at a sort of meaningful level and scale in John Wicks, as far as you know? Not as far as I'm aware. I think it's a, it's a very exciting uh, space and I think the methods are, are still being developed. I'm, I'm by no means an, an expert, so apologies to any federated learning experts who are kind of screaming into the, uh, into their headphones right now. But, um, as far as I'm aware in, in genomics, there is, it's not being used at a, 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 a large scale. You can check your ads on Twitter for people trolling you for ignoring great fields of research. <laughs> Amazing. And um, so I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm conscious of time. Uh, and so maybe w- one last question. Uh, so that there'll be a bunch of health genomics-y 
life science people listening to this podcast um, thinking, you know, how on earth do I crack into data science? Um, I certainly seem to be running what feels like a support group for marooned health people wanting to move into data science or at least understand how. And there will also be data scientists and bioinformaticians and, uh, and everything in between who will be wondering how can they learn more about health equity. So not to pigeonhole you both, but I'm going to put you on either side of that fence. Um, so maybe, Alicia, how would you um, help the health people of this world kind of crack a bit more into data science what advice would you give them and then brio how would you you know reposition those facebook optimizing statisticians to, to address their attention and energy more into health equity uh, alicia go ahead i think i'd be doing a disservice if i said that um there wasn't data science in in health and public health because there is and there are a number of groups that are um really pushing forwards in in that space um different different universities Within the NHS or NHS system and interested in data science and those approaches, well, there's the NHSR community, which is a great group of like-minded spans, analysts, data engineers, lots of different topics. And and they run a lot of different webinars and, and things. So there's the NHSR um, community. The the other thing that I find really helpful, actually just a bit of an introduction, is from the Turing Institute. So it's the Turing Way, which is a, a really easy read, <laughs> if there is such a thing, but in data science, to just introduce you to different terms and and the the different areas that are in that are in that. Maybe I'll also add to that, you know, I, I did a, an undergrad in biomedical sciences and then moved into health economics. And uh, I taught myself to program via an initiative called Code First Girls. So if you are um, a, a woman or identified as non-binary, then you can learn basically every language under the sun um, with Code First Girls. But I probably caveat that you probably don't learn that much. You spend a lot of time just gassing about how Git, how complicated GitHub is. But say if I found that it gave me the community to be like, oh, I can do this. Uh, fast forward a few years and I've d- done a PhD. Um, so uh, I would definitely give those guys a wee bit, wee bit of a plug. Brio, repositioning Facebook optimizing statisticians, where would you point them towards? So I suppose f- first I want to make a pitch for, for why looking at health equity is interesting for, for data scientists. And I think it's it comes to, down to all these kind of thorny, challenges um, that that we've uh, spoken about over the last half hour or so in terms of you know the the, the data that that uh, in in healthcare systems is is messy there's all sorts of i'm going to say fun challenging uh, like pre-processing that that needs to be done there's all sorts of you know difficult biases to take into account and so that means that data science challenges are, are significant and i think they're just from a pure data science perspective they're, they're really interesting challenges uh, to be to be working on. Of, of course, it's maybe not necessarily that obvious of, of how to get involved. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a, a shameless plug uh, for the Data Science for Health Equity community. So there's it's a great place to kind of you know meet the the clinicians uh, and, and healthcare workers um, who are interested in using uh, data science um, in their kind of in their kind of day jobs. And I think through through speaking to to to, to people who are on on the, on the front line is like a great way to understand the kinds of problems and challenges that that people are facing and and to try and understand the the, the possible ways of uh, making an impact to health equity through through data science. So join join Dishy is what I'm saying. That's my advice. <laughs> Excellent advice. And I guess to do that, you go to www.datascienceforhealthequity.com. Uh, Dishy's got a newsletter 
called The Dish, you'll see that the pun has been extended a lot. Um, uh, there's also on Twitter and uh, there's a Slack workspace. So uh, there's, there's ways by which you can um, kind of have touch points with the community. Um, so that's all for the episode. Boo. Um, but thank you so much for listening and for this discussion um, and uh, for joining us on this journey to highlight and debate the implications of data, data science, um, health equity and genomics as it comes into the mainstream of both healthcare and society. Um, you can find out more about what Brio and Alicia are doing um, via the uh, wonders of the interweb. Um, but maybe a quite a good entry point is both of their Twitters. So you've got uh, Alicia is at Alicia Davies one. Oh, to, to the person who just had Alicia Davies, screw them. Um, and Brio is uh, at Brio Lehman. Um, but don't be fooled, Brio is not phonetically written. Brio is B-R-I-E-U-C, Lehman as in Lehman Brothers. Um, and the dishy handle is uh, at DS underscore X underscore H-E. Um, and, you know, whilst I'm here, you can follow me at Maxi Mackey. I seem to spaff a lot about data science and health equity. It's a, certainly a, a good topic for, of mine. Remember, you can also hear and read and watch and consume many other stories about data diversity in health and genomics at the Diverse Data Initiative's mindthegap.health uh, website, which is a kind of wonderful collection of, of stories and research and accounts of uh, data diversity. And um, if you have any views on this topic or on this discussion, or you have someone in mind, um, please do uh, write us an email at podcast at genomicsengland.co.uk. Or if you want to get in direct contact with the Diverse Data Initiative, we're diverse data at genomicsengland.co.uk. Um, please remember, though, to subscribe to The G Word on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you did enjoy listening, then uh, I'm going to do the awful thing of begging for a five-star review um, because it really does help people find us. Um, and if you don't like it, then uh, please give us five stars anyway because it helps contribute to the ecosystem of misinformation. So either way, please give us five stars. Um, I mean, thank you so much for your support, for your ears, for your time. Uh, and yeah. Thank you so much for listening to The G Word. Bye.